0: to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land.
1: Joining us now is Sports Radio 610's Sean Bajani. Haven't had him on in a while. We want to talk about Astros and other stuff. Uh, The big news right before we start recording on Monday afternoon, the Astros acquired closer Robert Osuna from the Toronto Blue Jays for Ken Giles, David Paulino, and Hector Perez, whoever that is, but uh, Giles and Paulino, I, I don't think that's given up a ton. Osuna, though, the big concern that I have, Sean, is this. He has the third longest suspension in Major League Baseball history for domestic abuse. Now, the suspension's going to be over with, but I'm not a big fan of getting guys that beat up their girlfriends, and, and here's what happened. Uh, his girlfriend who accused him Uh, of doing this ends up in the hospital. Uh, He agreed to the MLB suspension and didn't appeal, which says that he took a little shorter suspension than he thought he might get because he knew he wasn't likely to win this case in court. It's still set for trial. As far as I know, the trial, though, could take two to three years because it happened in Canada and their system takes longer, Sean. But this is one of those deals where, if you want to root for the good guys, it's the old Drayton thing. This is guy might not be a good guy, and that's the only thing that I don't like about the trade.
0: You know what's uh, funny about it, Robert, is that you know one of the things that I think we all enjoy about the Astros is that they're all likable. We like this team, we love this team, and there are a number of reasons why. Uh, you know, one being it's because a lot of these guys came up through the farm system together, were developed together, uh, were you know brought together around the same time, and so we kind of got to see them, you know, through some of the lean years, and then right there in the 2015 season is when you started to see the, you know, the large contingent of these guys start to put it together. So they became likable. We've seen these guys uh, for a few years now, and this almost feels like. And I'm not comparing the level of importance for these guys by any stretch, but this almost feels like I think the way I fear to feel about the acquisition of Carmelo Anthony from the Houston Rockets. And if I'm a fan, I want to like my team and I don't like Carmelo, you know, he's not a good dude uh, for a much different reason than, you know, obviously Roberto Osuna uh, allegedly is not a good dude. So I think that's probably the major hangup for me.
1: 2.87 career ERA for him. He's got 171 saves. There, there's no questioning what he could bring as far as, just uh, a talent is concerned. Yeah. yeah. I did forget to mention that. Yeah. He could pitch a little bit. <laughs> I mean, a Chapman. I mean, if you're the Cubs, do you regret, even though anything about that, even though you, you got, you finally got that world series after all these years, but you had to do it. Thanks in the large part to uh, w- what was basically a domestic abuser. Somebody that I guess fired his gun at, at, at this girl, Uh, like threatening her with the gun and and I think fired it, but not trying to hit her, but just trying to scare her, I think was the story. Is that right?
0: Uh, Yeah, I I, I would, I would be, you know, wrong. If I fully commented on this, it's been, it's been a little while and I forgot all the details about that. So um, I'm a little shaky on commenting on that. It's, it's, it's just a difficult kind of situation when when you make a move like this and you start talking about likability and whether or not you can fully get behind a guy like that?
1: Ugh. Well, they, I mean, they're they're the bullpen is what they got what they needed. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but my feeling was that there's no way that they were going to win a championship if you go back into the postseason and depend on Lance McCullers to come out of the bullpen and save your butt. And, and I mean, to me, Hector Rondon is a good pitcher. He's got no record of being a closer. He's got no record of being right. a big guy in October and the rest of this staff, we know what most of them did in the postseason uh, last year and it just wasn't good.
0: No, and you know, I'm glad you bring that up because I was t- talking about this earlier this week in you know with the closer role and you know the importance that people put on the closer a role in particular for the Houston Astros. Would we love to have a hammer at the back of the bullpen? Uh, Like Ken Giles really kind of was last year during the regular season. I think he converted 34 of his 38 or 39 save opportunities for the Astros last year and unfortunately didn't factor in uh, to much of anything of consequence in the postseason when it comes to that. But the Astros rolled with guys like Brad Peacock and Lance McCullers and Charlie Morton and other guys that stepped up huge that were, you know, starters at one point or another last season for the Astros, and they came out and pitched some huge innings for the Astros out of the bullpen. And I wonder if that's exactly the a same or similar mindset that Jeff Luno and AJ Hench are comfortable with going into the stretch run down. Uh, towards the end of the regular season and into the postseason this year,
1: Rysel Iglesias would have been my choice. I don't know. I don't know if the Reds uh, were asking too much. I mean, I don't know what you thought of him, but that would have been my guy to go to if you're going to go to any anybody uh, that was still left on the trade market.
0: I think once Zach Britton, you know, was scooped off the market by the New York Yankees, I mean, that was the next most logical move. And you know, I think the Astros probably had their eyes on a, a number of, of guys out there, but. You know, look, what you're willing to give up is not always what, you know, an opposing team is willing to take. You weigh the risk reward and obviously Jeff Luno, at least to this point, I'd have to say that he's operating a little stingy, uh, a little more stingy than I think we'd like to see him as deep as this farm system still is. I mean, you think, Robert, over the course of the last two or three years— the Astros have traded away some, you know, really good, solid young prospects, some good young minor league talent, and they've made out okay. They've stole a top five minor league baseball farm system and major league baseball. And I think, you know, when you see the the Yankees scooping up everybody, I mean, they're back to being the retro 1995 Yankees, where they're going to buy and trade for everybody on the market. You want to see the Astros, the defending World Series champions, you know, be similarly aggressive.
1: I did a little research uh, in the last week, and this is what I discovered as far as the Astros bullpen is concerned. And and this is going to matter in October because I looked at the ERAs of the relievers against the contenders, the guys that they're going to face likely in October, the Yankees, the Indians and the Red Sox were the three teams that I looked at Uh, Tony Sip, his ERA so far this year against those teams, zero. Rundone 1.55 Joe Smith 1.80 McHugh mm-hmm. 2.25 Devo 3.38 Will Harris 4.40 Peacock 6.75 he's kind of struggled through a lot of stuff this year uh, not the same yeah. guys last year I think uh, all the innings maybe that he racked up and he hadn't racked that, that type of uh, work up before but it's not as bad as I thought I mean Giles had a 13.5 but obviously he's gone You know, they were eight and 10 against those teams, but the relievers, for some reason in my mind shot, I thought it was going to be worse when I looked it up. Well, I
0: think there's a couple of different reasons for that and that, you know, this team is our defending World Series champions. So we've taken the level of expectation up a notch or two when we evaluate these guys and everything is under a microscope with them now and so the, the least little hiccup it's you know pandemonium it's it's you know fans freaking out it's oh man you know these guys stinking you know you forget that you know last year this team went through ebbs and flows you know not 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 so many because look they kind of burst onto the scene and they were dominant offensively which overshadowed a lot of what we saw from the starters and you forget about how good the bullpen was last year, and it was very good. Um, but I kind of liken it to Dallas Keuchel when people were ready to you know, ship him out of town about a month or so ago. Well, they were comparing him to the historic starts that Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole and Lance McCullers and Charlie Morton were uh, you know, on to start their season. And lo and behold, look at Dallas Keuchel over the course of his last six, seven starts. He's looked uh, really darn good. Uh, Now, he's still got some kinks to work out. But I think quite similarly, you know, for the Astros bullpen, especially when you talk about, you know, two vitally important guys uh, for them last postseason and certainly this year in the regular season. And Will Harris and Chris Davinsky, they're going to be important down the stretch. They're important to this team now. I think how we see this team operate over the course of the next month is going to tell us a lot about this ball club and what we should expect for them. You know, once the end of September rolls around and the postseason um, is on the verge, because I know you're a guy like me, Robert, that you kind of, you know, you have fun with these things. You you like to look ahead a little bit and see what's upcoming they're going to be on what seems to be like a constant cycle and a recycling through the AL West. They have got a lot of big games. And with the Mariners nipping at their heels right now, with the Oakland Athletics nipping at their heels right now, both teams within five, five and a half games behind the Astros and the AL West right now, they got a lot of tough ball games to play. And I think once you start to see these teams and these players ratchet the, the, the pressure up a little bit, you're going to see them perform.
1: Osuna currently serving a 75 game suspension. Like I said, it's, it's a third longest in in history, August
0: 5th. He's back though.
1: Yeah. He, they don't have to make a corresponding move on the 25 man roster until August 5th. So who's the odd man out? You mentioned Will Harris, but is he the odd man out in in this bullpen?
0: Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if Harris, maybe you could tell me better than I can. If he's got an option left, I want to say Davinsky's got one option left to the minors. Uh, You have to kind of be careful now because anybody you do send down, um, you know, if they're a rule five guy, uh, you know, they can be scooped up. And that would that would scare me a little bit. So, you know, you talk about guys like Davinsky and Harris, that would worry me a little bit. I know they just sent uh, Ciano Perez down uh, last week or earlier this week. I want to say it was I'm not exactly sure. I'm not exactly sure it's something that Jeff Luno even spoke to just a couple of days ago when asked about, um, you know, whether or not he was done making moves, which, you know, is even more of a surprise in this acquisition of Roberto Osuna. And that he said he was really looking towards a position player, but would not rule out, uh, you know, adding another pitcher, which obviously they now have done Um so I wouldn't be surprised to maybe even see another corresponding move to make something a little bit easier for them in this transition to fit Osuna in.
1: Right. And and to me, Will Harris would be the guy that I, if I were to get rid of somebody at this point, he seems like the obvious choice. Uh, he's on the he's on, I think he's on the last year of his deal. Right. I
0: want to say you're correct. I, I can double check on that for you. Um you know, he seems like an obvious choice for one, just given, you know, his pitching performance this year. I mean, certainly you'd like to see him fare better, but look outside of the four runs that he'd gave up uh, a couple of days ago, he was going through a really nice stretch towards the end of June and the month of July. It's been, you know, fairly clean for him. He's he's pitched very very well, I think, for the Astros. Brought that ERA down from a 4.15 mark to a 3.79 mark before he gave him gave up those four runs in LA the other night, and they're drubbing there. So, I I I wouldn't be you know too hasty on pulling the plug on a guy like Will Harris, somebody that you've trusted to pitch big innings
1: for you before. Yeah, if you go batting average against of the guys on the roster. Uh, The only one worst batting average against is Dallas Keuchel, 254. Will Harris, teams are batting 252 against him. But what do you think of Ryan Presley? Because to me, you know, I get it. He strikes guys out. He's got a great arm. But his numbers over and over again show me that he's just kind of Will Harris. And his batting average against is... Right next to Will Harris, he's at 250. Uh, Will Harris at mm-hmm. 252. To me, that means something. Batting average against. I, I like that as a stat. Sometimes better than ERA or WHIP, which I'm still confused about. You know how to work that in my head. What WHIP is and and who's good and who's not with WHIP. But you know, to me, that tells me our guys hitting him. Forget about you know, ERA, because you don't know how many runners are inherited and if he's holding those guys and that sort of stuff.
0: Well, you know, the hits allowed for Ryan Presley is a bit of a concern because, you know, he's going to uh, allow the ball to be put in play. The one thing that a couple of things, actually, I think that the Astros really like about Ryan Presley is, you know, he's, he's a strong arm out of the back end of the bullpen uh, you know, lives around 94, 95, I think has been clocked as high as 97 this season. Um, you know, and that was first showing a couple of days ago, wasn't uh, great giving up that homer to run Runeto door. But, you know, heck, who didn't give up something to Runetto door the other day? The guy just catches white hot fire against the Astros uh, for some reason. But Ryan Presley, I, I liked. The fact that he, he does have a strong power arm coming out of the back end of the bullpen, his spin rate on his curveball is amongst the highest in all of the majors this year. I think, um, you know, if if the track record for the Astros is any indication of what they've sort of, you know, you know, put as a premium of things they like about guys in baseball that they've had their eyes on, it's that it's spin rate and somebody they can work with. He's 29. I think about to be 30 years old. So another guy, maybe they can work into the fold and you know coach up a little bit, and you know have some time to do so before the postseason, and maybe uh, have him be a significant contributor for them towards the back end of the bullpen. By the way, the answer to your uh, Will Harris question is: is um, he's got a five and a half million dollar club option on his contract in 2019. So. Um, that is a club option. He's uh, making 2.8 million for the Astros this year.
1: Yeah, they're not picking it up. Nope. not happening. Not for five and a half million
0: dollars. With the way that he's pitched, you know, this season as a whole, I would agree with you. But you know, there is there is a part of me, and I know you can't do it all the time, man. I know you can't do it all the time. But one of the things that Jeff Luno and the Astros I think did last year is that they were patient and they could afford to be patient with, with a lot of guys last year, just given how they'd run away uh, with the division, you know, during that long win streak around the same time that they experienced that 12 game win streak this year in the month of June, last year when they created all of that separation, just before guys started going down and you really had to kind of, you know, um, pick and pull guys from the bullpen to make spot starts and really help out guys like Peacock, uh especially in uh Colin McHugh stepping up big at times last year they could afford to be patient this year, you know, with a couple of teams on their heels, I think they're feeling the pressure a little bit and look, they've had this injury with Carlos Correa and they've really been kind of coy about it. And we don't know necessarily how serious Altuve's injury is going to be. Anytime you start talking about things like a knee, I think soft tissue, I think lingering, I get worried. I think a lot of people do. And I think that's fair. Um, but you know the Astros have had the uh, you know ability in the past before to be patient. I still think they do to a certain degree uh, this year, and going into next year, you'd always like to keep your core group together. Is Will Harris uh, you know a part of that in terms of a bullpen? Yeah, he has been. But can you do better on the open market? Absolutely.
1: Since the All-Star break, the Astros' numbers no bueno. Uh, 198 average, 30th in baseball. 33 runs, 25th in baseball. Eight homers, 20th in baseball. 638 OPS, 27th in baseball. 505 ERA, 23rd. Uh, Yeah, they're struggling. And also, uh, Sean, there's been a couple of games recently where, you know, this is minor, but to me it matters because it might have, you know, cost you a, a W, but... Hinch could have played Tony Kemp at second base, who had been playing there most of his minor league career, was just playing second base a couple of years ago, I think. Uh, the most egregious game where I thought Tony Kemp could have and should have been playing second base was where Yuli played second on Sunday. And, and he looked terrible out there. And I don't understand why you put Yuli there and start move, moving him around and playing with him when Tony Kemp, that's basically what he's done most of his life is play second base.
0: I hope you're not looking for an answer, you know, or to, uh, you know, make that sound logical from my perspective, because I looked at it just like you did. I said, AJ, uh, you know, oh man, did you have a long night? You know, uh, did you not get any sleep? You know, when he filled up the lineup card, was he a little foggy? <laughs> you know, what was going on with that? I mean. You know, God love AJ, and it's been very difficult to criticize a manager like AJ, who obviously is not just coming off of a World Series championship, but the way that he has put this team together and entrusted guys in so many various positions. You know, one of the things that I loved most about and I still love about this team is Marvin Gonzalez and the versatility that he brings. And Tony Kemp is another versatile guy that you can play at, you know, a couple different positions, second base. I mean, that's been his natural spot and certainly the Astros have used him in the outfield quite a bit this season and, you know, have, have really had to, would they like somebody maybe with a stronger arm out there? Yeah, certainly. But with this consistent of a baddest he's had in the lineup for them, you find a way to play him every day if Marwin needed a day off on Sunday, you know, fine. Maybe I get that. But there was really no reason why Tony Kemp shouldn't have been playing second base. I mean, you stepped on a guy's face for crying out loud. I think it was Eureks and Profar uh, trying to make a play at second base. It, it just wasn't good. I know, you know, with Mike Miner pitching that day for the Rangers, a lefty, you want as many right-handed bats in the lineup as possible, uh, and that's fine. The thing is, is the Astros could have trotted out the same batting order that they did, but have Tony Kemp playing second base, moving J.D. to left field. And, you know, you don't have to worry about, you know, the ungodly side of Yuli Gurriel playing second base. Here's a bigger head scratcher. And I think maybe this answered A.J. Hench's question inside of his mind after the performance that we saw from Yuli on Sunday is that he'd actually thought about, he mentioned this to the media that, well, you might see Tyler White play a little second base as well as Tony Kemp. I hope we can scratch the idea of Tyler White playing second base and just uh, rid that from AJ's lips and memory.
1: I love Tyler White hitting, but yeah, he's not really that good of a fielder and agreed with you there. <laughs> you know, Marwin's having his worst year since 2013. That That's frustrating. Uh, Josh Reddick is nowhere close to the guy last year. It was a career year, but Josh Reddick is actually probably a little bit below average for what he's been doing in the in the past. Uh, yeah. he, he hasn't stepped up with Altuve Hurt, which is frustrating because uh, you need some of these guys to step up with uh, both now Correa and Altuve Hurt. I don't think Kyle Tucker, Sean, is showing the progress to where he's ready to help in October. If it's me, I send him back down. I bring up Mariznick. I start Kemp in left field every day. Marisnyk would be starting once a week, which is all he should have started in games to begin with. But you always can bring him in and defense and pinch running late in games. And I don't mind that.
0: Uh, Yeah, I mean, I I think I kind of agree with you there. Um, I'm always a little hesitant to pull the plug on, you know, young guys like um, like Kyle Tucker, who's shown so much promise. Granted, in the minor league level, I mean, he's ripped through everything. He started off slow this season, but you know he really caught up and was more patient at the plate. And um, you know with a swing like that and discipline like that, he's going to be a good ball player. I think the Astros have a little bit of time, but I wouldn't necessarily disagree with you that I think they could send him back down and and call Mariznick uh, back up. Just because, look, Jake's been here; he's been through adversity. Um, you know, he's, he's seen the ups and downs and has been able to make adjustments at the major league level before. So I think, you know, siding with that sort of a veteran over a young guy who you'd hoped could contribute. Yeah. When the offense is fully functional and you've kind of got that embarrassment of riches going for you. um, Yeah. All good. No pressure, right? Well, since Kyle Tucker's come up, you know, Correa's went down with injury, uh, the bullpen's been shaky, Altuve's gone down with injury, and George Springer continues to still show you know, great inconsistence at the plate. Um, I think it's around the time here in the next week or so as you get these guys acclimated to the team that you just made moves for, Maldonado, Presley, Roberto Osuna, who's uh, eligible to return from his 75-game suspension uh, August 5th right around the same time that I think we'd expect Jose Altuve to come off the 10-day DL after this little rest. Uh, assuming that Correa's back in the fold, I think that's an opportune time where you could make a move like that.
1: Uh, I don't like seeing Kyle Tucker turning singles into doubles because he can't feel the ground ball in the outfield. That's one of the things that I think really scares me to death, Sean, if we're talking about contributing in October.
0: Oh, uh, yeah. I, mean, I, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, you've got to have – you got to have your optimal guys out there. You got to have the guys that you can trust out there that have been through it, that have, uh, you know, been in, in, in crunch time games and big situations you want your best out there. That's what it's all about. And that's why I put so much importance, you know, not just on this, uh, you know, series coming up with the Mariners, but, Look, right around the time that Altuve is supposed to be back, August 5th, I think they have a four-game home series with the Seattle Mariners, and with them four four and a half games behind the Astros, uh, you know, as of Monday evening, um, look, that's that's going to be a very big series. It's going to be a very big month, pretty much all of August, as you go through the entire AL West uh, about one and a half times.
1: Yeah, no, it's uh, they, they've got some stuff ahead of them that they got to figure out and they got to get the train back on the tracks. Like, uh, pretty soon, uh, Bobby Dynamite needs to help them with that because, uh, yeah, they got to get this thing going again. <laughs> um, a couple more baseball related things uh, I want to talk to you about, but first, I need to take a quick second to talk about HBOT America. Many of you listeners have heard about the benefits of hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Athletes like LeBron James and Tiger Woods use it for recovery. You can do it right here in Houston without buying your own hyperbaric chamber. Before I tell you how to save a bunch of money, let me explain how it works. You use oxygen, pure oxygen, under a higher atmospheric pressure. It helps the blood saturate, absorbs more oxygen into the tissues, promotes reduction in inflammation, accelerates recovery time, increases blood flow, and studies show it helps with concussions and even cognitive function of the brain. So tons of benefits, and if you'd like to check out the effects yourself, try it yourself. Call HBOT America at 832-986-5144 or go to HBOTAmerica.com for more info. That's HBOTAmerica.com. I've been a regular over at their location on Kirby by NRG Stadium. The people over there, they're awesome. They're going to treat you right. And if you mention Houston Sports Talk, you get a 25% discount on any of their services, or you can go to the website and use the promo code HST25. In case you forget, just look for the promo code in the description of the podcast as long as well as the website and the phone number. Well, uh, last thing, last couple of things I want to ask you about, Sean is uh, the Mm -hmm. hall of fame. Did you get a chance to see much of the hall of fame inductions on Sunday?
0: No, I did not. I was, uh, I was actually on air uh, during the time of the inductions and I'd missed it, which uh, is really uncharacteristic of me because, you know, I made the trip up there last year uh, to see Bagwell inducted. And that was, you know, a first for me, and uh, just something I absolutely—I know it's kind of a difficult trip for you know many to make. Uh, you know, right there in Central New York and kind of out in the boonies, uh, it's a tough trip, but it's one that if you can make, you absolutely have to. If you love baseball, if you love the Hall of Fame, if you want to enjoy a great weekend with the kids, the wife, the girlfriend, whatever, the boys—that's um, that's something you have to do. Uh, I, I didn't I, I didn't catch it, and it's something that, that I, I quickly called my wife for, and I said, please record this for me. So I, I can't wait to take in all the speeches, probably tonight.
1: The speeches were all solid. I don't think they were spectacular. You was Trevor Hoffman, Chipper Jones, Jim Tomey, Vlad Guerrero, Alan Trammell, and Jack Morris, the best moment of the ceremonies. One of my favorite things and, and, and really a highlight every year is when they – Introduce all of the Hall of Famers, and they come out, and you hear, you know, their numbers, and you see all these guys. You know, it, it's remarkable because I think the th- three of the guys that they introduced are the best second baseman defensively ever, the best shortstop defensively ever, and the best third baseman defensively ever. Because Brooks Robinson, Ozzie Smith, and Roberto Alomar were all there, and 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 those guys are the best to me. And I, I mean, oh, I, I hear this stuff from past eras, and it's hard for me to know because I didn't see, but I saw, you know, all of those guys caught maybe not not too much of Brooks, but everybody that caught Brooks Robinson can tell you that, you know, he was on some other level as far as defensive third basements. The moment of the ceremony for me, Sean, though, was the Hank Aaron introduction because the applause that every other guy got was like, hey, it's got a pretty nice applause or whatever. When Hank Aaron comes out, you know, there's Hall of Famers and then Hank Aaron's like on some other tier.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, you know, for one, and this, I don't know if this is still necessarily a popular argument because, you know, here in recent years, I've been seeing more and more stuff come out about Barry Bonds and, you know, some arguments. Uh, I read a really fun article about Barry Bonds uh, actually last night, or maybe it was a couple days ago. Um yeah. I, I consider Hank Aaron, the home run King. I mean, I don't know about you. I mean, I, I didn't grow up watching him play, but you know, my grandfather and and his brother, you know, spent a combined 36 years in professional baseball and they, they watched him play uh, either on the field against, or, you know, just on the couch on the TV set, like, uh, like many other people, Hank Aaron was the man. Um, and you know, not just for being a great home run hitter and one of the greatest hitters of all time, it's, you know, for a guy that came up when he did and experienced all of the adversity that he did uh, for being a black ball player during that time, in major league baseball. Um, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's tremendous. And it's a testament to his, his will, his character. And, um, if, if there was, you know, a, a, a charter few, and I know there are many in baseball's hall of fame in Cooperstown and rightfully enshrined as such, but if there were a few great character guys that you could pull from Cooperstown, Hank Aaron would certainly be a top of the list.
1: And Hank Aaron was escorted out on the stage. The guy that was helping him because Hank's old and he doesn't get around as well as he once did was Craig Biggio. So that was kind of cool to see Craig, uh, helping out Hank Aaron is just a, a fantastic moment. The, the Hall of Famer that I felt like, and I don't know about you, Sean, he's got to be one of the most underrated people. I thought he was underrated when he was playing. It's not just I looked at the numbers when it was over with, but I'm like, why doesn't this guy get talked about more? Jim Tomey, uh, he slugged 554, the same slugging percentage as Hank Aaron. His 956 OPS is 18th all-time. This is somebody, Sean, that nobody seemed to talk about. And I guess it's because he was traded, or not traded, but he played on six teams. You know, he was Mm -hmm. traded, but, like, free agency or what? He just moved around a lot. But I I love Tommy, and I never heard a bad word about him, and he's one of those guys in the home run era. You know, he's just untouchable. I mean, as far as there's no steroid, there's no... HGH, it's milk. I mean, it's milk that made this guy hit all the home runs.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You know, before Bonds, uh, you know, he was maybe the most, certainly one of the most feared hitters in baseball, you know, leading the league in walks, you know, three or four years there when he was with the Indians and uh, his early years with the Phillies. I know he's only spent about two or three years with uh, Philadelphia, but I mean, he was doing some really special things, um, you know, as, as a group. Great home run hitter as a a feared hitter, but as a guy that, you know, look, he could hit for a little average, you know, 270, 280 type of guy. And, um, you know, look, he struck out a lot, but it was, you know, very high risk, high reward for him at the plate a lot of the time. I saw something the other day. Actually, I was talking about it with someone yesterday. Jim Tomey, the all-time leader in career walk-off home runs with 13. Uh, um, Just incredible. (laughs) <laughs> Jim Tomey, like who'd have thought? Like, I would have named Babe Ruth before I would have named Jim Tomey. And Ruth had twelve for his career and so did about seven or eight, nine other guys. Um maybe somebody to watch out for that could possibly tie or break that very soon is Ryan Zimmerman of the Nationals, who's got ten. But um Jim Tomey and the career numbers that he's had and you talk about a guy that, you know, didn't maybe earn a lot of the uh, he certainly earned it, but didn't get a lot of the notoriety. I mean, there were so many other really good players, great players around that time. I kind of liken it to Bagwell. He didn't get a lot of the notoriety that we felt he should, but, you know, Frank Thomas did, um, you know, Sean Casey did, uh, there were a lot of other guys that, that were, uh, you know, in the spotlight and, you know, Biggio and Bagwell and guys like Tommy, they were, they were just kind of brushed to the side, I think for, for whatever reason, but, uh, hey, Hall of Famer, there's no argument now.
1: Yeah, I said Tomy was 18th, and OPS Jeff Bagwell was 20th, so he was only a couple behind him. You get into, into the 11 to 20, and there's some names in there that you go, okay, of course, and then there's names that you go, what? Because <laughs> there's like Mickey yeah. Mantle and Joe DiMaggio and Stan Musual, and you're like, yeah, 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 Frank Thomas. And then at 15, it's Larry Walker, and at 16, it's Joey Votto, Um, And and then you go back to, oh, it's Johnny Mize and there's Jim Tomey. And then 19, it's Todd Helton. So a lot of that, of course, uh, you got Todd Helton and Larry Walker. Some people would point to the thin air in Colorado. But when you look at the the top of the list, you know, it's no joke. It's Babe Ruth, Ted Williams, Lou Gehrig, uh, Bonds. You know, of course, we know a little bit why he's there. Jimmy Fox, Hank Greenberg, Rogers Hornsby. Those are some pretty strong names. Manny is next again. A little bit of a question mark. Do you know who's number nine on the list right now, Sean? Number nine all yes, the time?
0: Yes, I, I actually do. It's Mike Trout.
1: Yeah, he's good. He's pretty good. <laughs> I
0: mean, you know, you consume baseball like like I do. I mean, we're just junkies for this kind of stuff. The things – and it's, it's so weird. Look at the Angels. They're a game or two above 500. They need help. But the things that Mike Trout is doing this season – and that is doing at this point in his career is absolutely historic. It's historic. It's crazy. If you, you know, you took OPS, for instance, look at that top 10 list. There is one guy that I really don't think he ever sniffs the inside of Cooperstown and baseball's hall of fame. And maybe he does if he buys a ticket and that's Manny Ramirez, you know, but Mike Trout's right there at number nine, Um, you know, he's certainly well on his way. It's, it's really incredible to watch, and I hope people are watching. I don't think a lot of them are because all he's with the Angels, they're not very good, and you know, baseball's a regional sport, and you know, it's hard to pay attention because they play every day, and uh, you know, it's hard to pay attention to guys that aren't playing for your team. But man, he's. He's a lot of fun to watch.
1: And if you watch the E60 story on him this weekend, he is a future meteorologist. He is the meteorologist for the angels. They go to him <laughs> when they need any information. He loves weather. It's, it's no joke. He's called in on the Weather Channel and, and talked to the guys on there.
0: That's so weird, Robert, because, you know, I think about it. Like I said this to somebody the other day. You know, at, at Sports Radio 610, you know, we 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 have a lot of former football players, you know, that now are in the media and that do radio with us, Seth Payne and Ted Johnson and Stanford Route and uh, Matt Murphy, David Anderson, who I do a show with now every Wednesday, uh, the average sports show. It's like, OK, we need to start to infuse some baseball guys into the radio business. Now, who the heck could we find? You know, I, I'd love to get Biggio on the air you know I'd love to get Bagwell on the air more regularly maybe Jim Tomey not Jim Tomey but maybe Mike Trout's got a future as a meteorologist doing guest spots for like you know some ABC NBC CBS station somewhere one day that's maybe about as close as we're going to get to some of these baseball guys doing local TV or radio for us maybe maybe he's going to be doing traffic maybe Laura Reynolds better look out for her job
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah I mean Trout uh, you know he's the guy's going to go down, I think just give him a few more years. And he's, he's one of the greats of all time. Uh, If he can just do it for a few more years and, and really, you know, if something happened to him now, obviously just something weird. And he was injured. We would say, you know, this guy, he's all time. You know, it's like one of the, it's like the Sandy Koufax thing, but give him a few more years and he's going to start hitting on some major records, busting some stuff up. Yeah. I,
0: Just hope he does it for a really good team at some point, not in the AL West and maybe not even the American League. You know, get him over in the National League. Let him tear it up a little bit.
1: Yeah, that's that would help. (laughs) Uh, Let let me ask you, because you went to uh, speaking of like historic stuff and stuff that we needed to to put in, like some book or something like that. You were just up in Washington, D.C., and you were at the Library of Congress and you got a good story about that.
0: Oh, man, um, we spent uh, myself and uh, Alex Del Barrio, who uh, works with me at Sports Radio 610s, also the one of the voices, the Houston Dynamo. Uh, we, you know, we like to take a baseball trip. You know, we went to Cooperstown last year, and uh, that was our first trip together. And we said, you know what, we should try to do this every year. So we went to D.C., saw the sights, wanted to take in the city, uh, saw the Nats and Braves play at Nationals Park, which was uh you know, probably the most uneventful part of the weekend. It uh, wasn't a very good game. The highlight was watching Bryce Harper in person. I mean, that guy's incredible. Um, but yeah, we stumbled upon the Library of Congress uh, our last day in town, and lo and behold, like we're walking up the steps, and this woman stops us. You know, I guess we had we had a Astro. I had my Astros hat on, and maybe Alex was wearing like another jersey or something. And she said. You guys are baseball fans. You guys need to go up to the second floor, and they've got an incredible display of baseball memorabilia. And we said, "What? Wow, this is cool. Perfect." And she said, "And you can make a baseball card." <laughs> I said, "What?" So we went up there and we saw it. And yeah, sure enough, you know, they had a couple displays up there where you could, you know, hold a bat and, you know, somebody take a picture and you know get a baseball card made of, of, you know, you individually. And so that was kind of cool. And then we walk into this big room and I mean, it was like Cooperstown kind of threw up in there, <laughs> you know, it was uh it, it was just incredible stuff. And it was anything from, you know, life size uh, statue of Jackie Robinson to satchel page in an old Browns uniform, um, a great letter that I saw from Jackie Robinson, uh, written to Branch Rickey, who was, you know, the man that got him in baseball and helped break baseball's color barrier. Um, just a great personal letter. It was about two pages long. Just fascinating to read, and just to be in, in there in all of that history and what was special about that. And people that have been to Cooperstown understand this to a certain degree, but. That was a much more intimate setting for me because obviously it wasn't you know the breadth of Cooperstown. It was you know, a smaller scale display, but still you know very impressive. You just you got to be right there and 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 touch things and, and hold things and just experience it you know without the crowds. I mean you know it was probably myself and Alex and maybe a few few dozen other people dispersed throughout the little. Uh, area on the second floor it was very impressive. And uh, I don't know how long that that display was going to be up there for, but very, very cool to see. I I enjoy, you know, what I call, you know, baseball's golden age, you know, of the twenties and thirties and forties, you know, in and, and large part, because that's when, you know, my grandfather and his brother played major league baseball. I just, I have an appreciation for that. And I just think to me, that's, you know, three or four of the most fascinating decades of major league baseball. And it was all there for you to see.
1: Well, you, you led me into this perfectly because, uh, and that sounds great, but you talk about that era in the old school. I just want to remind our listeners that haven't heard it. The interview that I did with Greg Kreinler, uh, he's a baseball artist. He does a lot of the stuff from the golden era. Uh, he depicts guys like Babe Ruth and Stan Musial and Jackie Robinson and, It's just uh, remarkable, some of the stuff that he does, and his stuff is going to be displayed in the Negro Leagues Museum. Uh, It's been in the Yogi Berra Museum as well. But uh, Greg Kreinler, it's Greg like uh, Greg Nettles, the uh, former Yankee player. It's spelled like that, G-R-A-I-G. But uh, just talked to him a couple of weeks ago. It's in the archive if people haven't heard it. Also, we just spoke, uh, Sean, with Ben Ryder the author of Astro Ball. And I'm telling you, it's worth getting. It's a great book, man. Yeah, You know,
0: I've, I've been seeing that advertised all over the place on, uh, you know, my Facebook feed and Twitter feed. And um, that looks all the reviews that I've heard. Uh, that is an absolute must get for me. Um, if, you, if you see my office here at the house, I've got uh, I won't say every baseball book, but I feel like I've got most <laughs> that have ever been written. Uh, that's definitely uh on my list of uh the the next one I need to grab onto it it's uh, you know one of the i am sure you talked to him about it you know one of the things w- that I read was about that book is it's not just about the astros and, and that you know glorious season of two thousand and seventeen but the process as well and that's what I think a lot of people will become fascinated with.
1: Right. And and the thing that, and I when I said it in the interview, the interview, I just uploaded it on Sunday. So go back into our archives, make sure you listen to it. But the thing that just made the book so fascinating was Sig Meidel. And Sig Meidel is this guy mm-hmm. that's basically, as I said in the interview, he's kind of the Robin to Jeff Luno's Batman amongst the, you know, Astro's brass. He was there with them with the Cardinals. And I, I told uh, Ben, I said, you know, have you talked to anybody about this being a movie yet? And he said, he goes, no, it'd be great. But he goes, no. <laughs> and I said, you know, when you look at the story, Sean, this is a movie. I mean, when you when you factor in Harvey, he tells in the book the incredible story of that day of getting Justin Verlander. And there are scenes from that day that you couldn't write as a screenwriter and not be made fun of and say, oh, this would never happen. How could you write this garbage? But it happened. And, you know, you've got the story of Carlos Correa and what he came from, and we know a little bit of it. He gets more into that in the book. And you've got, you know, Altuve and what he had to go through to get where he was at. So many of the Astros had a story. He didn't even get into it in the book, but the Mike Fires story, this was a guy that didn't play in the postseason, but was so valuable in sucking up innings for the Astros when they had all five starters down last year. And Mm -hmm, he's somebody mm -hmm. that threw the no-hitter two years ago. He went through all of this stuff with his mom. He's got one tattoo on his body, unless he's added some since I've talked to him. One tattoo. It's a tattoo of his mother who died uh, prematurely because of, uh, I think it was Uh, cancer-related. You got, Fires was thrown through you know, the, the uh, uh, window in his car, he fell asleep in his car when he was in college. He was thrown through uh, the car windshield when the car went off the road. Mm-hmm. And he's, you know, mm-hmm. that's why he was drafted lower. He might not have ever pitched again, but there's all these stories. But the Sigma Dell stuff, you know, we're talking about a guy that was helping send satellites up into space, NASA guy is the Astros, you know, key guy, one of the key guys. I mean, where Jeff came from before he was doing <laughs> stuff with the Astros is great. And, you know, he, he, he has a scene where Sig is chewing on his Astros rally towel during uh, the World Series. <laughs> and and I, I, said, yeah. I said to him, Sean, I was like, all right, I, I got the last scene for you. I got, I, I, I've, I've already directed it in my head. I said, here's the last <laughs> scene of the Astros movie. I said, you, you and Sig is the he's the through line to me of the book. He's like the guy that you walk through the book with, in a way. And yeah, uh, so you end the movie with you have uh, the shot of the Astros going through downtown Houston in the parade. You know, it's a sunny day in November. They're going through in the parade. You know, celebrating the fans and blah blah blah. The next shot you go to is. You go to a sky that's dark and the rain's coming down and the camera's tilted up towards the sky. The rain's falling down like floodwater rain. And as you pan down, as you tilt down uh, you, towards uh, downtown Houston, the water turns into confetti. And then you go to a shot of Sig, a close-up, and he's holding, he's holding his Astros towel with a big smile on his face. Uh, kind of soaking it all in. Great stuff. Yeah, they need to hire you (laughs) to make sure that happens. If they do make a movie,
0: if you have any part in the entire movie, it needs to be that end scene. I like it. I like it. You know, I even started thinking, you you brought up Mike Fires. That's a guy I keep forgetting about, man. (laughs) You know, Jeff Luno and all of the moves that he's made and just the philosophy and strategies at the The Astros have employed over the course of the last couple of years. You know, that's a trade that a lot of people weren't too very fond of because, well, it wasn't the Mike Fires trade, it was the Carlos Gomez trade. And, you know, I think a successful trade is sometimes the one that helps you in the meantime reach, you know, a a, a nearby goal versus, you know, the one that you know, has the guy, you know, staying for three, four, five, six, you know, next few years, Mike fires was an integral part of that, that whole ordeal. And, um, you know, he was the sweet of the bittersweet in making that Carlos Gomez trade for the Astros.
1: I've got a little thing for the kids out there for the high school kids, a little message. If you're playing baseball and you're thinking you might get drafted or you want to be drafted, do me a favor. Uh, First of all, don't be a hater. And I'm going to spell <laughs> hater with H A D E R, and I'm going to say to you <laughs> kids out there, look, uh, don't tweet out rap lyrics. Never tweet out rap lyrics. Right. It, it, right. It, it's not going well for you, Sean.
0: Don't tweet out rap lyrics, but don't tweet things that you end up having to, you know, blame uh, rap lyrics for. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like just don't tweet stupid stuff. That's it. That's it. It's not hard. I coach seventh and eighth grade kids, and you know a lot of the kid. I've been there for you know at my school now for seven years now, and so a lot of the kids that I'd coached, you know, are playing in college now, or you know, um, one just committed. I talked to him today uh, to play safety at Syracuse University. So we're seeing all these kids, you know, uh, you know, set themselves up for great futures. I'm like man, please, please don't wreck this, you know, like be mindful and appreciate the opportunity that has been awarded you that you've earned to this point. Now continue to earn it, keep it, grow, grow it. And um, it's just, it's, it's one of those things. Like if you got kids, if you know, kids, if you teach, if you coach, whatever, if you're around kids, you can only tell them so many times not to do something Honestly, Robert, a lot of the times they're going to end up doing it. It's just two things. One, they don't get bit too hard when they make the mistake. And then two, they learn from that mistake. And you just hope that, you know, Josh Hader, and this was seven years ago, that I think he's probably learned from the mistake. And the testament was his teammates getting his back a couple of days after that uh, story had broken. He'd confronted the media and apologized. He had all of his teammates behind him literally and figuratively.
1: Right. And he looks like uh, a Saint compared to who the Astros just got Robert Osuna. And that's what we're, we can close out on. Um, hey, it's at Sean Bajani on Twitter. Anything you want to plug? Uh, yeah. Uh,
0: every Wednesday, sports radio, 610, 10, uh, seven to 9. PM. Right now. Once Texan season starts, we'll be on from eight to 10. Every Wednesday, it's the average sports show uh, with myself and former Houston Texan wide receiver. Uh, the, uh, con- just hilarious. David Anderson, a contagious personality. Uh, we have a lot of fun in two hours every Wednesday night, the average sports show.
1: I like David Anderson also. Cause he's about my size. He's not a big guy. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the I, people were like, why do you call it the
0: average sports show? And I'm like, well, you know, David's got one of the most average white names ever, David Anderson. And we're both short and You know, look, he fought his ass off to keep a career in the NFL. And, and, you know, I'm fighting my ass off to keep a career in radio and coaching. (laughs) So it just made sense for us.
1: (laughs) Hey, thanks for doing this. It's always fun catching up with you. Great talking with you, Robert. I'll see you next time. Thanks again for listening. And if you're new to the show, subscribe to Houston Sports Talk on iTunes, Stitcher, or the TuneIn app. You can keep up with this show and my daily Locked On Texans podcast on Twitter and Facebook or by going to HoustonSportsTalk.net or LockedOnTexans.com.